Hey everybody, I'm Peter, he's Mike, now tighten your bolts, here we go! Welcome to Rebels <laughs> Rebels, the podcast that explores the Star Wars expanding universe through an episode-by-episode deep dive into the Star Wars animated series, Rebels. Yeah, I switched it up a little bit, but I just really like saying, tighten your bolts, here we go! <laughs> I, I, it was, I wasn't sure if it was my time to jump in, but it felt right. Yeah um cool we have no guests today this was an exciting but i don't know this is an interesting one i'm excited to see what you think about it there's some fun stuff to talk about so i am ready to just jump in if you're ready do you want to do this mike i'm ready let's do it Let's mix up a quick space refresher and recap what happened in Episode 7, Season 4, Rebel Assault. (laughs) Hera and her assault team arrive at Lothal and begin to battle their way past the Imperial blockade, while on the ground, the Ghost crew sabotages the anti-aircraft batteries to allow an unhindered attack on the TIE factory at Lothal's capital. However, with Thrawn coordinating the Imperial defenses, the Rebel attack force is annihilated with only a few survivors. Choppa, Choppa, Chopper. Choppa. Choppa. Chopper and pilot. It's a Boston droid. Choppa. Choppa. Wicked smart. Chopper and pilot Mark Matten. I always have to stop to say that name because it's so doopy. Who reached the surface and they reached the surface and regrouped safely. Hera and Mark attempt to flee the city but are chased down by Rook, Rook as Kanan <laughs> returns to the capital to look for Hera, only to be stopped by the Lothwolf. Kanan asks the Lothwolf what he should do. Meanwhile, Hera manages to open an escape route but is captured by Rook before she can use it. Mark and Chopper are then picked up by Kanan and brought to the Rebels' hideout as the Lothwolf watches on Kubrickian zoom in on the Lothwolf. <laughs> All right, which brings us to the theme for this episode, acceptance. This episode is essentially two plot points, Peter. Let me tell you. His hair is captured, and Kanan understands what he must do. That's Mm -hmm. it. You've seen the episode. Congrats. (laughs) The grand unreveal of Kanan's conversation with the Lothwolf is shrouded in mystery. We, the audience, must accept we aren't to know what Kanan now understands, much like Kanan has accepted what he must now do. For the ghost-like canine messenger of the Force. Apparently, Kanan has been granted some clairvoyance from the Lothwolf, as well as real-time insights on what has happened to Heron Mart, because he is oddly at peace when he finds Chop and Mart. Which makes me wonder how predestination plays a role in the Star Wars universe. This may be deserving of a deep dive itself, because it mm. seems like the Force attuned those Force-attuned individuals and entities have an odd acceptance and peace with the way things are and how they know they will unfold to such degree that the future seems to have an immutable truth and path set before it, which makes me wonder to all of this, why? Who cares? What (laughs) will be, will be. Just predestination is so boring. 
all that to say, Kanan has accepted it. I have accepted. I just won't understand this yet. And the audience must accept that they have to wait until next week to get the answers. Man. That's why the theme for this episode is acceptance. Yeah, and the annoying thing is this one actually, I think if I'm correct, led into like a four-month break. So it wasn't that they had to wait until next week. They had to wait wait four months or even longer maybe to find out what happened next. I mean, it's clever on the writer's point. It's a good, you know, it's not necessarily a good cliffhanger for the younger audience, but Mm -hmm. potentially for the older audience members, it's a... it's such a subtle cliffhanger. It's more like a hill hanger. Yeah. <laughs> I like that hill hanger. Um, that actually leads me into basically one of the only two things I have to talk about for this episode. Yeah, is, really. Um, do you have some sort of interpretation about the scene with the loath wolf? How did you read kind of, yeah, you, you played it out with, Kanan saying he now understands what he needs to do, and then he just seems to be in a separate, more patient headspace when we see him rescue Chopper and Mark. You want to help? Fine. Otherwise, stay out of my way. What do you want? I understand. What must I do? Instead of the frenetic energy he had before he met the Loth Wolf. How, how do you interpret that? Yeah, I, I basically just don't interpret it, to be honest. I like, Fair. I just, I just go, okay. Like there's, there's not enough groundwork laid for interpretation like this. You know, you you can feel fans probably going crazy around this time about what this means. Mm-hmm. But had this happened to me, I would have just been like, not even engaging like it's uh <laughs> it's such a uh yeah it, there's just nothing there's no substance here for me to grab onto uh if this were my first time viewing it yeah I, I i i couldn't interpret and wouldn't be interested in interpretation with because i think the lack of evidence that anyone could provide around this you could take it so many ways yeah. that the field has not been narrowed enough for an interpretation in my mind to land with enough like um primary resource for me to go yeah i can believe that mm-hmm. yeah i could see that um i think there was an interesting quote from dave filoni that came out right after this episode where he says the hero needs a bit of a guide and to focus his thoughts. Kanan already knows what he needs to do. And so I did think that was kind of an interesting context around it, that mm-hmm. it's less of an external thing and more of a reminder for Kanan. I kind of interpret it as like the wolf might see kind of the bigger play at, in action. And we've seen that with the force and kind of how you can zoom out to a thousand feet and see maybe the more important things and Kanan's so obsessed with, I got to get Hera, I got to get Hera that he might be missing the bigger picture. So this might have just been a, a reminder of Kanan to be patient and let the force unfold its will. Um, instead of Kanan kind of trying to make something happen, which, you know, it's, 
by contrast, Anakin was not very good at that, and things turned out poorly for him. Yeah, um, so I thought that was yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, it's interesting to see that quote to me is so. Yeah. It's just very standard. Like, yeah. uh, he needs a guide. I'm like, okay. Um, it, it, I think you even mentioned this in a previous episode, but that's very much like the, um, the the standard kind of Joseph Campbell plot of, yeah. you know, meeting a, a a mystical creature on the side of the road <laughs> who like gives yeah. him some sage wisdom and guidance. It's like Kanan's getting that, and he's going okay, and it's. It's it's pretty standard in that kind of narrative to not give the audience that, and I forget what kind of dramatic effect that is. It's the it, it's mm-hmm. it's basically the opposite of um, uh, what's the what's the I don't I forget the device when it's uh the audience knows but the character doesn't. Um, dramatic irony, maybe I think it's a yeah um, I don't remember either. Actually, I, th- I think I just made that up. Yeah. Anyways, but this is the opposite where the character knows and the audience doesn't know. And, mm-hmm. um, that's a, it's, that's a slightly boring one for me, to be honest. And I'm, I'm like, it's just, I don't know. I don't know if that's interest. That doesn't interest me. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, and I don't mm-hmm. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Like, <laughs> like uh-huh. <laughs> that's uh, true. I mean, I think to me, I don't even know if Kanan necessarily knows. He just might understand. And so what I am, it's not, I wonder if it's less about like the wolf telling him. That's why I thought it was, that's why I thought that quote was interesting because it was all focused on Kanan. It wasn't like the hero needs a guide to tell him what to do. It's like a hero needs a guide to focus his thoughts because Kanan already knows what he needs to do. Um, And so this to me was less about like the wolf being like, all right, so here's the deal. This is what's going to happen in the next episode. So make sure you do this. this. And this is more about like, this was Kanan's like, here's the force Luke. And like, he turns off his targeting computer is like that, like his moment of faith of like, yeah. All right. I don't want to do this. Like what I, I know what I need to know. And what I need to do is to be patient and trust the force. Even though all I want to do is rush in and save, save my girl. Yeah, yeah, it could it could be that high level. Yeah. So for me, it was more it was more interesting from a character development standpoint yeah. than a like I mean, plot it, development. And if all we got, because um, I struggle with like, was there more of a conversation we're not seeing? But if mm-hmm. all we really got was exactly what we saw, which was he just says doom. Yeah. Then I suppose there's some room from interpretation of like remembering, you know, your your master's teaching remember yeah. what Deepa Balaba taught you or remember your force attunement or all these kind of, so it, it could just mean that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other than that, really the only other big thing in this episode is this is the introduction of the classic T 65 B X wing starfighter. Yeah. This is the first time we see, we get the like, canonically, this is mm-hmm. the, or chronologically, this is the first appearance. Yeah. So I guess that's interesting. Yeah. I think some, some people were really, really excited about it. Some people found it anticlimactic. How did you feel about it? Yeah. I didn't know it was the first time. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard to be awed by something that's so standard, you know, it Mm -hmm. it it, it could, because in 
all of our minds, we've seen the it's the most iconic ship in Star Wars. So it's hard to make a reveal of the X-wing after it's, you know, <laughs> mentally yeah. been un, un unveiled to you. It's like it's like if a show was like, and here is a car, <laughs> and it's like okay, but but here's the plot. It's the first yeah. time anyone's ever seen a car, and it's like yeah, but I've seen a car. Yeah, <laughs> fair. It's it's not that interesting. Yeah, I mean, I just like the X-wing, so I was excited to see them in general. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this also gives us an opportunity because we've never seen them before, so we we get to talk about them a little bit. Um, so these ones are the first ones we've seen with green markings, um, which was pointed out, and it makes sense that we never see them again based on the outcome of the ships in this episode. Hmm. Which I will say, that scene where they're looking through the telescope and seeing the debris and the ships crash into the planet was very, very striking for me. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think a lot of this episode looks cool. Yeah, I thought they did a great job with that. Um, but the X-Wing, some facts, is that one of the, the X-Wing was originally built as a fighter that can take on a Star Destroyer. So that was the point of the X-Wing. They were maneuverable enough to get around the cannons, and they had enough firepower and some shields to protect them that they could actually take down the ship with a little bit of work. Ironically, the Incom Corporation, which built the X-Wings, designed the X-Wings for the Imperial Navy. They were first commissioned by the Galactic Empire, that wanted a new rugged pilot, single pilot starfighter to fill out its fleet. Production began on the new X-Wing line only to be halted. They were told that it was because the Empire found concerns with the starfighter, and that's why the work stopped. But in Mm. truth, income had been sidelined in favor of Sinar fleet systems and their Mm. much cheaper TIE fighters. So... Bureaucracy cutting corners. Wow, God. Yeah, imagine the Empire with a bunch of X-wings instead of Tie Fighters. Yeah. (laughs) So that is why the company, the Income Company, now had a glut of expensive Starfighters that were just laying there unsold, and so they were they were more than pleased when agents of the Rebel Alliance contacted them about using those ships, and they kind of sold them on the black market to get rid of the stock. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so they say that the X-Wing, it it excels in atmospheric flight, which is one of its advantages. Oh, that's cool. One of its advantages. Um, I wonder when they canonically established that. Yeah. Because, I I mean, I feel like you really only see it in atmospheric around uh, Force Awakens. Yeah, I think that's probably the first time I can think of one. Mm. Yeah. And that scene I thought was really fun. Oh, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. That's probably my favorite scene in all of Force Awakens was yeah, Pope Cameron that coming into um, mm-hmm. Maz Kanata's. Yeah. Yeah, and they said, interestingly, they are, when they're in the atmosphere, they can outmaneuver a TIE fighter. But when they're in space, a TIE fighter can outmaneuver it. And that's um, fair. I mean, I mean, it makes sense to me because the X-Wing looks more like a standard airplane, which I'm, I am guessing wings have some aerodynamics that help in our atmosphere as opposed to... And, and, and you, you, you never really see a plane that looks like a, an X or a, a TIE fighter. Yeah, it's true. Um, and we got to talk about just... I, 
S-foils were introduced with the X-Wing, kind of iconic thing. Did you know that the S stands for strike? So they're actually called strike foils. Strike foils. Yeah. Hmm. Also, we see in this episode, I was always under the impression that if a... The S-foils were closed, and X-Wing cannot shoot. Yeah, but, I know. That was weird. Yeah, we saw in this episode that is not well, true, and Pablo yeah. Dago actually talked about that. I guess it's just the S-foil, it just gives it a better spread, right? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So, yeah, they have a better spread of fire when the X fo- or the S-foils, not the X-foils, the S-foils are open. Yeah, that makes good sense. Yeah, and I've got to imagine it affects like the maneuverability and things like that as well. Like Maybe they can go faster with the S-foils closed. Yeah, but I mean, they shoot if, better if, with them open. If you're in the atmosphere, I would assume yeah. you want the S-foils closed. Now, there's some real, you know, I know Star Wars doesn't like science. <laughs> there's some real, you know, I can't imagine how that would affect you in space, given there's no friction. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, doesn't matter if they're open or closed, so just keep them open all the time in space. <laughs> That's there was, true. There were some odd space things that happened in this fight. There was, yeah. when they destroy the... Um, star destroyer it like they what's like the main command like the big tower that stands up on it do you know what that's called oh i don't know what it's called but like the the poofy ball thing yeah well yeah like this like the tower and there's two poofy balls on it mm-hmm. and basically on that thing it's like the command deck yeah so on the command deck when they shot it down um it fell into itself like fell into the ship like they <laughs> shot yeah. it in the middle, like the, they pretty much chopped it clean and then it mm-hmm. fell. And I was just thinking, why wouldn't it just like drift or like drift yeah, off? Yeah, totally. Why did it just fall into the. And I remember rewinding it, thinking like, oh, well, maybe they like shot it and propelled it forward. Yeah. But then I looked and I was like, no, they cut it straight through the middle <laughs> and then it <laughs> fell. Then it so, yeah, like that looked cool, but that you're totally right. Like, I don't know why I would do that. The only thing I can think of is maybe. Because there's artificial gravity on the ship, maybe it like leaks out a little bit into space. So like the artificial gravity pulls it toward the center of the ship or something. But that's yeah. a complete guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll I buy have no it. Idea. It's, it's better science than. I mean, I don't really. We don't need science. It's not a science show. Yeah, totally. But um, yeah, mm. um, a couple X-wing Easter eggs, just super quick, is that. In Star Wars Last Jedi, we see that Luke used his wing, his S-foil, which I guess is the S-foil the, me- the mechanism that closes the wings, or no is idea. the S-foil the actual wing? No idea. I'm reading it on Wikipedia. It's saying that Luke Skywalker had salvaged an S-foil from the X-wing, so it makes me it makes it sound like it's the actual wing. But I'll just say, he he takes the wing from his ship, and that's his door. But then in Rise of Skywalker, the wing is intact. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, bum. Discrepancies. Discrepancies. <laughs> you ruined my childhood. Uh, <laughs> and then I, this episode, this, as I mentioned before, was the T-65. But mm. later on in um, Force Awakens, we see the T-70 which is a more advanced not model. And then in later movies, the T-85, which those were based more on the actual Ralph McQuarrie sketches of X-Wings than the Offen- original models. Offensive. Yep. <laughs> Offensive. Offensive. <laughs> but those are my, those are my X-Wing facts. Ooh, I love those. Another kind of fun 
little Easter egg. It's not made a big deal of, but Hera is referred to as general for the first time in this episode. Oh, yeah, so she got promoted. Potentially a big one. Yeah, so good for her. Good job. Um, you mentioned Mart Matten. This Oof. is the triumphant return of hero of the rebellion, Mart Matten. Yeah. Um, the rest of Iron Squadron, according to the to the production crew, was back on Yavin. Goody evidently has been promoted to lieutenant. Ugh, Goody. Goody. Good for Goody, too. And then they said, Johnner is just eating space waffles. Hmm. So, cool. Fine with that. Fine with that. <laughs> One weird thing is that Matt, Mart, <laughs> Matt Mort- Martin, no, Mart Matten, um, Mort Markin, he has the word Sammy. S-A-M-M-I-E, written in Arabesh on his helmet. And there is zero explanation for it. There are no characters in canon named Sammy. There is one, like, bounty hunter or something named Sammy from Legends, but I would find it very odd if that is who Martin Matten was referring to. There's just there's zero explanation to who Sammy is. Hmm. Um... No, I'm doing a little digging. I know. Weird, right? Yeah. So if you have any idea who Sammy is, please hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on Instagram, and let us know, because I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, yeah, in my two seconds of poking around, found nothing. I know. It's weird. I poked around. I poked for a while, bud. <laughs> um, some of, And then... The only other really interesting, kind of interesting thing is one of the pilots, Cleet, was voiced by Anna Graves, who voiced Duchess Satine in Clone Wars. So that's a little fun fact for y'all. Also, um, there's this Imperial officer named Waldar. that He's like, sure, sir, one ship escaped the blockade. And he has some other things later on when he talks to Thrawn. That is the exact same character model that has been used by many different Imperial officers throughout the series. This guy originally appeared in Legends of Lasat as a different character hmm. um, and in Zero Hour. Um, he's so they've just this guy's just got twins popping around the Imperial ranks. Just recycling them. Yeah. Um, he's voiced by Steve Bloom, who voices Zeb. And in season four, he keeps, he's evidently used three different times for three unrelated characters. Hmm. So, cool. <laughs> you, don't, you don't seem very impressed by the fact that you just laid it out. No, it's just like, it is kind of interesting. Like, it's a little production trick that I don't think I would have ever noticed if it wasn't pointed out. Yeah. So it is just kind of like a fun, like, it's like one of those facts, like, well, originally they were going to be blue x-wings and a new hope but the blue screen technology wasn't wasn't up to snuff so they ended up being red squadron instead it's like that kind of like mm. weird production yeah you know, that i do find interesting huh. yeah. uh, i think i'm more just reacting to like this episode i thought was a good episode i just don't think it's it's not like a lot actually happened it's like battle 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 run away from bad guys yeah it's the the battle is interesting enough um mm-hmm. like uh and done well enough for for me to not mind this one yeah. um had this i don't it could have been it could have gone south 
because like I said up front, it really is just two plot points you need to take away from. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think all in all it works with how simple it is. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good, Not always the case, it's a good bridge, bridger episode. Yep. It is. And it very much is a bridger episode. Yeah. It's yeah. Okay. And maybe that's a, that should be giving it points in itself because we've had bridger episodes that are yeah bad. And this yeah. is at least a good one. Yeah. I think it's a good call yeah. for identifying it as a, utility episode like okay we need to do this this and this Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. it was a good one too in terms of uh poster talk uh all these posters we've seen before but if you look around any of the propaganda posters that we've talked about in the past Mm -hmm. especially now that lothal's been locked down they've been doing a lot of marketing so there's a ton of the propaganda posters everywhere you also oh. see some wanted posters, including one for Chopper, which I think is hilarious. And it says Chopper wanted for crimes against the Empire. <laughs> so good. I never knew that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also like I got I got a lot of Blade Runner feels from this episode, which I enjoyed. Mm. I thought, thought that was fun. Interesting. I think it's the seeing the city at night, the big, like the big uh, outline of the city and all the all the pollution and stuff now. It makes it feel much much more Blade Runner-y than earlier seasons. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't really pick that up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I'm, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely a Blade Runner sensitive. I mm-hmm. like to think I'm Blade Runner sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. It's a talent. Mm. I'm sensitive with Blade Runner. Is there any Blade Runner in this meal? Well, then I, then I can't eat it. <laughs> I can't eat it if it has Blade Runner. Yeah. Uh, honestly, that's about all I had. I don't know if there's anything else you really want to want to bring up or chat about in this episode. No, there's it, there's really not. Um, it it's 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 pretty it's a pretty standard episode. Um, mm-hmm. gives you what you need and gets out. Yeah, for better yeah. or worse. Yep. Yeah, I, I could imagine that I would have been pretty frustrated if this was kind of mid-season finale which i know i watched this in real time but i don't remember how i felt about it in retrospect i probably would have been pretty frustrated but as if since we're gonna watch the next episode next week i don't mind it that much yeah i will say that we are we're about to blast off i think this is a defining moment where and, and when i look back at the reviews and things from when the episode first came out People were a little more mixed on it and more mixed on the season in general. Like they're like, I don't know how I feel about this, but I think we will all see after this little mid season break, they do that. It's, it's all engines go and really closes out incredibly strong. So I'm stoked for what's about to come out. Yeah, it is. It's probably the only reason we really did this podcast (laughs) the high of, wow, this is so good. Just got to chase that high, man. So the only other thing we have to do is we got to close this out with a grading scale. Mike, would you like to explain to the nice people how we do this? Yeah, I sure would. Um, on a, we usually end the episodes, we, not usually, we always end the episodes, 
with rating each episode we watch on a scale of our current most favorite to current least favorite thing in Star Wars. Peter, would you like to give an example? Sure. So my favorite thing in Star Wars right now is the YouTube video of the little girl dressed as Rey at Disneyland using the Force to turn away bad guys. It warms my heart. My least favorite thing is Rey Palpatine. Just Mm. the whole concept behind the scenes and in front of the scenes of Rey Palpatine. Between those things, I give this episode R4 blowing his top. Small but significant event that leads to a bigger bridge into something Ooh. greater. Ooh. But it's it's a fun thing. So you know what? I give this a B. I think they did a good job. Oh, How about you, Mike? Well, on a scale of my most favorite thing being Ben tells Luke about the larger world inside his Tatooine abode. Two, least favorite being everything about the relationship between Ray and Kylo. It just doesn't work for me. Um, (laughs) I give this episode the opening space battle on revenge and revenge of the Sith. It's just a, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great moment. It it feels like a bridging moment to get you onto the ship to do some, uh, some plot work, but it's also just a fun space battle. I can always watch that beginning space battle and, uh, Revenge of the Sith and yeah. and be delighted because it's yeah. that it's that fun to me. So this episode very much feels like you know with so much space battle going on, it feels like that. So to me, that translates to especially in, given the context of this is a Bridger episode. Given mm-hmm. that context, this episode's a B plus. Cool, I like that. <laughs> Mike, would you like to tell people where they can find us on the internet? Surely. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, email, mm. at Rebels Rebels Pod. Um, and before we end the episode, Pete, mm-hmm. um, we we just get so inundated with emails. I just can't <laughs> keep up with it. A while back, we asked you to send us your favorite Star Wars haiku, to write a haiku. Yeah. And if you wrote a haiku... We would read it, and I would love to read three awesome haikus we got from Veronica Skywalker Doom, if I may. That's and so, so if, good. If you send us a haiku, we will read it on the air, because I love a good haiku. They're short enough. Ready? Yeah. So here's the first one. Vader wears a mask. For him, it's hard to breathe. For him, it is hard to breathe. Sorry. Do not unplug him. <laughs> Once upon a time, a galaxy far away... The Force was the key. She said, I love you. He responded with, I know. But his eyes said more. Those are beautiful. Those are good. But yeah, yeah, that's a. That's the first one, too, because Vader does wear a mask emotionally and physically. (laughs) And if you unplug him, I like that. (laughs) These are fun. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Veronica Skywalker Doom. You kick butt. Yep. Um, Shout out to you. For being awesome, reading mm-hmm. those really made it made my day. Yeah. Uh, when I got that email, honestly, actually, it really did make my day. It was like, oh, that's beautiful. Someone, someone cares and was thoughtful enough to be creative for a little while and have fun with Star Wars. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, 
that that really warms my heart i love it thank you cool um and i've said it before thank you for so much for sharing with your friends we've had a couple more people jump on the pod with us and that has been great and that is the only way that this is spreading is word of mouth so thank you to everyone who has told someone about our podcast and we are looking forward to finishing this out and rolling some dice with our friends yeah that's right and remember until next time to be brave out there and don't look back don't look back Tighten your bolts. Here we go. Oh, boy.